This is the word of the Lord. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts. Read us. Know us, change us, change us, transform us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving Day, let's be honest, for a lot, a lot of Americans, this has just become Turkey Day. This has become Sentimental Family Day, uh, Sentimental Friend Day. And that is uh, a day that is sorely lacking in recognition of the biblical framework of giving thanks. In idolatrous societies like the one we live in today, understanding and interpretations of definitions, understanding and interpretations and definitions, they tend to devolve. They tend to break down the further out we drift from our creator. You kind of see that a little bit in our story that we read, 10 guys come to Jesus to get healed, what happens? They go away and they go out, they leave, they get further away from Jesus and one comes back, one. And so as, as we move, drift further away from our creator, we drift further away from his unsuppressed truth. In, in Romans, it says we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so all this stuff just gets muddled. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to go to Ephesians with me. I read the text from Luke, but really we're going to do a brief survey through the book of Ephesians. And so I want you to go there with me and kind of track along. We're not going to spend a ton of time in any one particular place there, but in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins his letter pointing to God, and he thankfully affirms, if you look at verse 3, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He continues to affirm in chapter one, which is just a glorious chapter in Ephesians, he continues to affirm the uh, not only the sovereignty of God generally. I mean, he goes and just boom, 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 talking about our salvation and predestination. He not only just talks about the sovereignty of God generally, but he affirms, Paul affirms in this chapter, the Almighty's degree of interaction with his creation. In other words, he affirms how much God actually interacts with his creation. How much sovereignty does he actually employ? In other words, how involved is God? 
in our life, really. Does he care about the coin toss before the football game? Does he care about who wins? You know, how involved actually is he? And we see in verse 11 of chapter 1, the answer to that question, and it says, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, you've heard all kinds of times before what all things means. So I'm not going to ask you what does all things mean. Just think about it. If you look a bit further in Paul's letter to Ephesians, so flip over a page or go a few uh, chapters over in chapter 5, in chapter 5, verse 3, this is what Paul said. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may not be sure of this, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. A temptation may arise from carelessly looking at these verses, and that temptation is a superficial thanks, superficial thanksgiving, lip service. Isaiah warns us of lip service. It's not a good thing. But we see in, what, in, in this chapter, what we just read in, in chapter 5, what we just saw, we see in what is out of context, what is out of place and not proper for holy ones. We see that, uh, well, what did he say? Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. They are out of place. Are you a saint? Are you holy? They are out of place. Instead... Let there be thanksgiving. We also see this when Jesus talks about the good, good tree and the bad tree. What does he say? A good tree bears what kind of fruit? Bad fruit? No. A good tree bears good fruit. Apple trees make apples. If you plant an apple seed and, all, and your tree grows up and all of a sudden it starts to have oranges, what are you going to conclude? It's the weirdest apple seed you ever planted? No. You're going to conclude that was not an apple seed as a matter of fact. Essentially, our words, our words, our speech, sincere or insincere, is the litmus test to the character of our heart. Do you hear that? Our speech, our words, are the litmus test to the character of our heart. They answer the question, what kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have? Well, what is your speech? What is your words? What, what are your words like? What is your speech like? Foolish, filthy talk comes from a foolish and filthy heart that worships idols. On the other hand, thankfulness comes from a good heart that was given as a gift from God. Paul affirms this again in Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7. Let me read it to you. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, go back to Ephesians 5 now. You didn't turn, hopefully, away, but if you look at that chapter, what you'll see is you make this connection. Let there be thanksgiving, and then he says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually moral, impure, who is covetous, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Just can break that sentence down, and this is what you see. Do you want an inheritance in the kingdom of God? Yes. Do you want an inheritance in the kingdom of God? Then let there be thanksgiving. Do you want an inheritance in the kingdom of God? Then let there be thanksgiving. If we continue then in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, we're going to come to a word of caution. Paul says, be wise and not foolish, because the days are evil. He says to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God. You see that? Giving thanks always, verse 20, for everything to God. Surely, again, that general speech, you know, this all-encompassing speech, you know, it's if a husband and wife start fighting and a wife or a husband starts to say, you always do it or you never do it, what can you know? Well, you can know that they got some pent-up rage in there, some anger, they've some issues that haven't been dealt with, worked through, right? But... When, when the husband and wife start arguing and they start talking that way, always and never, you know they don't mean it. Because they don't mean it because they don't really know. And it's not true. When God says always and never, God is not like a fickle husband or a fickle wife who just throws these things out in an argument because he's got a bunch of rage that he hasn't dealt with. God's not like that. And so when God says um, all always and never or all. He means all. He means always. God is faithful. And so he says, Paul says, giving thanks always and for everything to God. He ends his letter, Paul ends his letter to the Ephesians with a call to put on the armor of God. And we all know why somebody would need to put on armor, right? Looking for a battle. If we, um, if we look at instances in the scripture of thankfulness. If you just kind of do a survey of people giving thanks to God. What you're going to see is that from beginning to end, thanks is given to God. We know this is a very basic thing. We, um, we say thank you. Well, who are you thanking? Well, it depends, right? I mean, if, you, if somebody gives you a gift, you say thank you for the gift, right? When we celebrate Thanksgiving... It becomes a really difficult time of uh, a difficult holiday for non-religious people because they feel this gratitude and they feel this thankfulness for all this stuff. But who in the world are they supposed to thank? Thank you, Goo, for you know popping and fizzing the way you did to give us turkey and wine and family. It becomes a difficult time for non-religious people, but for us as Christians, we feel this gratitude. And what is our natural response? To say thank you. To who? To God. And so from the scriptures we see this. We see that we thank God for his love that endures forever. We thank him because of his righteousness, because of his holiness. We thank him because of his wonderful deeds, because of his faithfulness. We thank God because he is our strength. He is our shield. He is our help. We thank him because he hears us. And we thank him because he has given us to hear his word. Psalm 138, 4. 
we think it. He was angry with us, but now he comforts us. We thank him. We thank him because he establishes us for wisdom, for understanding, for food, for drink. We thank God for one another. Paul so many times says, I thank God for you. Talking about the believers, we thank God that one another has become obedient. We thank God when our children are obedient. We thank God when the people in our congregation are growing in the knowledge of Christ, are growing in grace and faith. We thank God for deliverance. We thank God for growing faith. We thank God for his, quote, inexpressible gift. We thank God for grace extending to more salvation of the lost. (coughs) We thank him for qualification, sanctification for everything. Ephesians 5.20 says, for everything. We just read it. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, Paul says, for in all circumstances, praise the will of God, in all circumstances. So, what all these things have to come is that they are all from God, and they are all by God, they are all for God, and so naturally we thank God for strength and shield and help, for ears to hear, for word, for food, for our drink, for our wisdom, for our understanding. And one of the most tricky ones, I think, uh, for a lot of us is that last one I read, our circumstances. Because a lot of our circumstances are bitter, aren't they? They're, all of our circumstances are not always sweet and pleasant. <clears throat> but, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. In fact, it's one of my favorite verses to read. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's one of my favorite verses to read when tragedy strikes. To remind myself... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 8, he says this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith. Remember how Paul ended Ephesians? Armor. Paul again here says, having put on a breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, Excuse me. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. If you skip skip over to verse 18, that's what he says. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Last week we read, we read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we were. And uh, I want us to go there again. And the repetition is going to be good for us. This is what, this is what we read last week. He says, we, we have this treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's a pretty straightforward passage. It's one that we probably should all be pretty familiar with. And it's, and it's really easy to understand, especially when it says, we are the jars of clay, he is the treasure. We are the jars of clay, he is the treasure. But the fact that he possesses the surpassing power and that it does not belong to us, you see that? It says, we have this treasure, John, in jars of clay, that's us. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That part, the second part of that, is something that is, is too often ignored or misunderstood. And, and this is the key for believers abounding in thanksgiving. This is the key for us to abound in thanksgiving, is, is that right there, that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Let me illustrate that. If we are in control, if we think we are in control, if we were in control, and something does not go the way that we believe it should go or, or, the, or doesn't go the way that we say it must go, how are you going to give thanks? Can you give thanks? I mean, think about it. If, if we are in control and something does not go the way that we say it must go, this, this is the way it should go, can we give thanks? No. But when we recognize that the surpassing power does not belong to us, the surpassing power belongs to God, and it is God who works all things. It is God who works all things together. That, that all of a sudden frees us. The, the weight, the burden is lifted off of our shoulders. And now we don't have to figure out the answer to every single question. Paul says we are afflicted. We are persecuted. We are struck down. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always being given over to death. But we are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not forsaken. We are not destroyed. He says, we carry the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested 
in our bodies, in our flesh. In our flesh. Now, this is related to the leprosy that we read in Luke. See, we think of leprosy as a modern day, our modern day idea of leprosy where the fingers are falling off and stuff like that. Leprosy in the Bible, when you look at the laws against leprosy in the Bible and, you know, if you have a spot, it's a leprosy, you can't come near. It's not what we think of as leprosy where like noses and fingers are falling off. Leprosy in the Bible is any time your skin is uncovered and your flesh is exposed. Your house could get leprosy. Your clothes could get leprosy. So it's this weird thing. We don't really know what it is. But what it amounted to, what the problem with leprosy was, you're, uh, it's exposing something inside, and that exposing of what's inside, that uncleanness inside, makes you unapproachable and, and keeps you from being able to approach God, to get near to God. And this is why in the passage we read in Luke, they stood afar off and called to Jesus. Hey, over here. We can't come any closer to you, but could you heal us? And so in, in the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, you could not go sacrifice. That was, that was it. That was what the point was, the problem. You could touch other people. You make them unclean, stuff like that. But the problem with leprosy, the problem with being unclean was that you could not go in and approach God. Okay. And so Paul says, here, we care about the death of Jesus so that the life of, may be manifested in our bodies. Where? We care about the, we're crushed, we're, we are persecuted, we are, you know, uh, wasting away. Why? So that the life may be manifested in our flesh. That jar of clay, you jar of clay with the treasure inside, what happens when you crack? What becomes visible? Treasure. And so instead of Paul looking at his situations, his circumstances, that were pretty bitter, you can go through the list in the New Testament and you can see Paul's circumstances. They were not pleasant. Okay? They were not fair. It was not nice. Instead of making Paul and his companions bitter, instead of making them dejected, like, man, I don't even know if God really loves me. Here I'm trying to go on this missionary journey for him, and I get shipwrecked. Snake bites me. I'm in prison. Does God even really love me? That's what we do, right? I mean, how easily do we slip into the thinking of like, oh, man, God must be mad at me because, you know, my life sucks right now. No, Paul says, we also believe. That's what he said. We also believe. This is faith. John Calvin says, faith is the mother of confession. Faith is the mother of confession. We have the same spirit of faith that brought us to resurrection in Jesus. Christian, you have the same spirit of faith that brought you to resurrection in Jesus. Paul is saying that this is why we don't lose heart. We have won. We have success. We have eternal life. We are not... Did you hear what I just said? I just said the S word in church. I'm sorry. 
we have success. I'm not talking about Joel Osteen, all right? I'm not talking about you're going to have, you're gonna, every business venture that you go on is going to succeed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have success. You have one. You may die without a penny to your name, body riddled with disease. But you, if you have faith in Jesus, you have one. Okay? We have success. We have eternal life. We are not those who live as though this vapor of a life we experience from birth to death is all there is. We are those who live for eternity. Eternity. Listen to this quote by John Mark. He says, the case why I am so long and tedious in this matter is for that I know how hard the battle is betwixt the spirit and the flesh. Under the heavy cross of affliction, where no worldly defense, but present death doth appear. I know the grudging and murmuring complaints of the flesh. I know the wrath, anger, and indignation which it conceives against God, calling all his promises into doubt and being ready every hour utterly to fall from God, against which only faith remains, provoking us to call earnestly and to pray for assistance of God's spirit, wherein if we continue, he shall turn our most desperate calamities to gladness and to a prosperous end to thee alone, O Lord, be praised. For with experience, I write this and speak it. John Knox. The fact that our outer self is wasting away and, and we are experiencing this light, momentary affliction does not diminish the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Do you hear that? Listen, I don't know every single one of you, but I know enough of you to, to know your heartbreaking story. Okay? I know that we can read that scripture, this light momentary afflictions, and it can seem like it's trivializing our pain. And Paul's not trivializing our pain. He's not even trivializing his pain. He's saying, your pain is great. Your affliction is great, but compared to Jesus, but compared to glory, it pales in comparison. And so he says, it does not diminish the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus said, has been given to him, to Jesus. We're the jars of clay, he's, he's the treasure, and he has been given the surpassing power. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so the fact that we get cancer, that we are treated unfairly in our jobs, the fact that we are abused and taken advantage of, the fact that on this earth we're going to have to say goodbye to everyone we love does not take away from the reality that God possesses the surpassing power. And it's for our good, it is for our good that these light afflictions are divinely woven into our individual stories. When Joseph, when Joseph's fathers died, Joseph, who's, who's 
brothers sold him into slavery into Egypt. When his father dies, his brothers get uh, afraid that Joseph is now, because he's in this position of power and authority, that he's now going to take out revenge upon them. I mean, he's 17 years old. They sell him into slavery to die. And so they're thinking, now dad's gone. He's going to take, get his revenge, and he's going to kill us. You know? But what does Joseph tell his brothers? He says, what you meant for evil, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And that word, that word, I've said it before, this is, the picture is of weaver, of weaving. God is weaving this thing into our story. Why? Because he likes to see you squirm? Because he's like Sid from Toy Story? No. He's weaving this into your, into your story because he's working this for your good. Can I do that math? Can you do that math? No. I cannot do that math. God may give us glimpses into like these things, like, oh, you know, some good came out of this horrible thing. But we cannot do that math. We cannot add that up and say, oh, I get it. No. So don't even try. This is where you need to go. This is where you need to rest that God is weaving. He is working for your good. And it is, he, he's taking these afflictions that he's given to you personally, to your family. He's taking these things and he's weaving them into your story. And they're for your good. They're preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we go, therefore, we make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all his commands. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Have you ever wondered why, if you're saved, why God hasn't just taken you up to heaven, just zapped you up? If the whole point of God saving you is just to get you to heaven, why, why hasn't he just zapped you up already? Yeah, Christian. Because he's using you. Because you are a character. You are an actor on his stage. And he's using you to show his glory. He's using your affliction. He's using your heartbreak. He's using your sweetness and your bitterness. The sweet things and the bitter things in your life. To reveal something about himself. It's for your good and it's for his glory. And so... The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. C.S. Lewis says this. We ought to give thanks for all fortune. For all fortune. If it's good, because it's good. If bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world. And the hope of our eternal country. It works in us the hope of our eternal country. So seen and unseen, transient and eternal, if you misplace your thankfulness, you've misplaced your faith. If you misplace your thankfulness, you've misplaced your faith. By putting all your stock in the scene, in the transient, you'll not only find yourself hopelessly and bitterly disappointed in the end, if you put all your hope in the happy life and the happy family you have, you're gonna be disappointed hopelessly. If you put all your hope in the awesome job you got and all the money that you have in your bank, you're going to be hopelessly disappointed in the end. 
hopelessly. You also, you will also be among those, if you do that, you will also be among those who Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 10, are not worthy of me. And let me be the one to tell you, you don't want to get to heaven and hear those words. Who are you? I don't know you. Depart from me. Those nine lepers rushed back to the temple. You know why they rushed back to the temple? To show themselves to the priest? So they could get pronounced clean. You know why they needed to be pronounced clean? So they could get back to the business of getting close to God. Ironic, isn't it? Those guys go rush back to the temple to be pronounced clean by the priest so they could get back to the business of getting close to God. And one faithful Samaritan returns to Jesus and actually does it. One faithful Samaritan returns back to Jesus and actually gets close to God. He gives thanks to God. He gives praise, glory to God. We absolutely must thank, thank God for the gifts that he's given us in this life. Your family, your food, Thanksgiving's coming, and I am going to be extremely thankful for all the food. I'm going to be thankful for my kids, for my family. I'm going to be thankful for all the things. And we should be. You should be. If you're not, you're just a Scrooge and you need to really, like, pray and repent and ask God to forgive you. But you should be thankful for the gifts. But our thankfulness has got to extend beyond those things. It's got to extend beyond those things that are temporary. And it's got to find the resting place in the almighty God of heaven. The un unchanging God of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, as we get ready to come to this table, this in many churches is called the Eucharist. Do you know what that word means, Eucharist? Thanksgiving. This is the table of thanksgiving. This is the table um, where, as Christians, we celebrate thanksgiving every week. It sounds kind of goofy, but... This is a table of thanksgiving. So every week that you, Christian, are called back to this table, you are being called to return thanks to the God of heaven who has healed you and cleansed you and has brought you close to himself. Every week you're called to this table, you have the opportunity to be the one out of ten lepers who comes to Jesus and gives thanks. For cleansing you, for healing you, and for drawing you close to himself. So whether this is your first time to come to Jesus, or whether this is your millionth time to come to Jesus, Christian, come and welcome to Jesus. Come to the table. Please stand and receive your charge. Your charge is uh, pretty simple this week. Be like the one guy who went back and did the right thing. Be like the one guy who went back and said thank you and gave glory to God. Do not give God lip service. He 
doesn't like it. It will not end well for him. He sees through the game. He sees through the charade. He doesn't want your lip service. Give him your heart. Don't miss the entire point of what you are given or what is taken from you and give thanks to God. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.